So the results uh, in Michigan, uh, Washington, the primary results came in uh, yesterday, just to date it for everybody. And um, I was trying to sort of uh, digest those results. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't sort of play games here, so the fact of the matter is it's, it's bleak for Bernie and for our side. Um, you know, uh, global capital is a hegemony, and uh, th th they've struck back. You know, we have, you know, Cory Booker talking about, you know, Joe Biden's sort of fitness to do this in the 21st century, and we have Kamala Harris saying that uh, that girl was me, and we have... Uh, Julian Castro saying that he can't keep a thought straight. Uh, we have Tim Ryan saying people are talking to him that they don't think he's up to it. But of course, global capital tells you you got to consolidate. And so I've been trying to um, kind of reckon with that. And so um, I thought about a, um, a labor leader in, uh, in England, in the UK, uh, called Tony Benn. Um, Tony Benn was uh, a member of parliament for uh, 47 years. He was a democratic socialist. He carried the torch for the left over half a century. Um, that included stints on the cabinet of two prime ministers. When anybody's uh, left, of, left of the Labor Party now, they call him a Bennite uh, because of sort of the stance that he took over a very, very long period of time. Uh, in the early 60s, uh, Ben inherited a title, the Vice Count of Stansgate, from his father, who had passed away. Um, and inheriting that title would have meant that he would have been expelled from the House of Commons because you can't be, you know, you can't have a, a, a peerage title and, and, and stay in the House of Commons. So he decided he wanted to renounce it. But that wasn't done at that time. So he campaigned to renounce this title, and he won. So uh, the, there was a, a law passed in 1963 that allowed him to renounce that title and stay in the House of Commons. Uh, in 1988, he actually um, challenged for the leadership of the party. He lost to uh, Neil Kinnock, who is famous uh, for having a, a speech plagiarized by Joe Biden. That's the same guy. Um Ben also served as the president of the Stop War Coalition in the UK uh, until his death in 2014. But he, he made a, a very famous speech, and part of it is, uh, you see it on the internet, and I just wanted to uh, recount it because I think it's very, um, it's very important right now in the, in the, in the current, climate. current climate that we're in. And this is what he said. There is no final victory, as there is no final defeat. There is just the same battle, to be fought over and over again. So toughen up. Bloody toughen up. So here we are, folks. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're in the belly of the beast. We're behind enemy lines. Um, we're so sort of, um, you know, we're, we're nervous because our, our, our friend and neighbor, um, Uncle Joe, he's he's tottering. He's teetering and tottering. And, um, you know, people like that because they're scared. But I'm not scared. Our guest tonight is Marie Pinckney. She's running uh, for uh, Senate in District 13. She has a master's degree from Delaware State University, the Delaware State University. State. Boom, go Hornets. <laughs> I think you might be the first Del State um, alum that we've had in here, I think. I'm going to carry that with real pride. I, I actually, when I read that, I was like, I kind of like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dope. Can I put a little icing on the cake and say I also got my undergrad degree from Norfolk State University? Boom. So I'll tell you what. We're doing it tonight. We're doing it. Yeah. 
HB. Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> so thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure. I was actually super excited about this. I'm glad. I'm I glad. have to admit, I didn't, when you just mentioned um, talking about your your neighbor in episode 10, I haven't made it all the way back. I'm about episode 30-ish. So I'm make, working my way backwards. Well, you know here. what? I think the episode that we talked about that um, actually is the, like one of the famous early episodes. And so the, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, the 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 KKS episode where it's Kirsten, Kristen, and and Steph Heron, and it's a mess. So if you don't listen to it, that's fine. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Carl Carl did his best. I mean, the guy's always he's he's working hard. He's trying to put something out. So it's a little bit weird because I think I I think I um challenged uh, Kristen Bricker because the guy in my neighborhood who was exposed was exposed. Uh, on the on uh, social media by somebody from Antifa, who was like had used was using the gritty meme, the the, the Philadelphia Flyers gritty meme. I don't know. That was, like a, <laughs> that was like a thing, what like nine months ago or whatever. It seems like eighty years ago, but it was just, you know last year probably. Um, so we mentioned it, um, and actually I talked to our Eugene V. Debs fellow about it, but we never released it. Because I don't want to, like, I don't mind. I mean, the guy's name is Joe Ruff. If you see Joe Ruff, guy's a fucking white supremacist. Shun him, you know, do whatever you need to do. Guy's fucking horrible. So I don't have a problem naming the person, but I don't want to, like, I didn't want it to be gratuitous, you know? So I didn't, like, we didn't, and actually maybe the, um, the audio wasn't very good, so Carl, so we can't, <laughs> actually, this, this the is one. <laughs> very bad. We can't, we can't put this out. So, so, um, I mean, I'm glad that you have listened to some, so you know how these go. So, um, how did you grow up? What was it like? How did it, um, sort of lead you to where you are today and into sort of activism and politics? Sure. So when I was this morning and maybe over the past couple of days, I was listening to like interviews of other candidates trying to, you know, do my homework and prepare myself. And I'm like, oh. My story is a little different. <laughs> um, Different's good. So, oh yeah, I love different. Um, so, I was technically born in Ohio, Cleveland, um, but I moved. I was moved to Delaware before I even turned one. I was like nine months old when I came to Delaware. Um, I came. I was born during the time when crack epidemic was hitting black neighborhoods really, really hard, um, including my biological mom. So. When I was born, um, I was actually really close to being put into foster care, but my um, great aunt actually decided to take me, so that's what moved me to Delaware. Um, so I've been here since basically birth, um, and she raised me. So we lived in Wilmington um, on 35th Street until I was nine, and I went to St. Helena's from kindergarten to third grade, where I was just about the only black kid there until maybe third grade. Um, and then we moved to Newcastle and I hated private school. I hated everything about private school. So I begged my mom to put me into um, public. So when we moved to Newcastle, I got to go to public school. Um, and I went to public till uh, graduation and I graduated from Howard. Um, loved Howard and from there went to Norfolk State um, in Virginia and I studied and I studied social work there. Um, I loved social work. I didn't really have much of an interest in politics at that time. Um, I remember being in a class one time and there being some discussion of political social work being a thing and I remember like a light bulb like oh that's interesting but then never any more thought from it than from there. Um, I came back and I had the kind of that like graduation life crisis where you're like, oh, what do I do now? So I decided to go to grad school. So I moved back home um, and I went to Dell State. I did my master's there in social work as well. Um, straight out of grad school, I worked in adolescent mental health and substance abuse. Um, I also did an internship in foster care while I was at Dell State and I loved the work that I did. I've really always loved working with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it was kind of my passion. It's kind of always where I saw myself is just, you know, hold, not necessarily holding people's hands, but walking with people through 
crises and showing them how to get to the other side of that, showing them how to connect to resources. But doing that work also shows you the lack of resources, the difficulty in getting resources, the barriers that come, who has access to the resources, who doesn't have access to the resources. Um, And then, uh, so after those three years at the mental health and substance abuse facility, um, specifically with adolescents, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I was a typical millennial with about $100,000 worth of student loan debt. I couldn't afford to work there anymore. So I went to Christiana, uh, where I work now. Um, I do uh, acute trauma discharge there. So I work with patients who get in pretty bad accidents. um, And I help discharge them. I help again, focus on getting them the resources that they need so that they can leave the hospital effectively. Um, And it's the same thing there. So there I work with patients who get in maybe like really bad car accidents and they become quadriplegic or they have um, serious brain injuries. And one of the things that I noticed there is when I'm working with those patients, there's nowhere for patients to go in the state of Delaware if they need inpatient acute rehab after those kind of injuries. So not only has a family just been torn apart by some kind of devastating accident, now once you leave, I have to send you over an hour away to get any kind of treatment that's gonna help you. Um, I work with patients who are undocumented. I work with patients who don't have insurance. And again, it's just a repetitive cycle of people not having access to the resources that they need, or even people who do have the access, who do have the finances, who do have every check mark that you're supposed to have to be able to get things, they face barriers. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) this is something we talk about. It's like there's there's a thing, it's acutely obvious in Delaware, Mm -hmm. about this thing with credentials. Like, well, I did the things I I need to do, so I'm Mm -hmm. good and I should get this, but this person shouldn't get it. Mm And it's just, it's a breakdown of everything. Yeah, it's pitting us against each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm so interested to speak to you because uh, my wife, Nurse Susan, is also a public health, she's also a public health uh, advocate mm-hmm. and works in public health, as you do. And you really see that. You see our failures. You know, you see what we're not doing. Yeah. And a lot of people don't see that because they don't, they're, they're privileged enough not to have to deal with, with that. And yeah, I think that, I think that really, it shows them what they need to do politically Mm -hmm. because they don't, they don't deal with anything that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have those problems. And that's the interesting thing. Like you don't have those problems until you do. And then that's when everybody cares (laughs) because now we have the problem because now the drug addiction affects the people who didn't have to worry about it before. Or now the acute traumatic situation affects the people who didn't have to deal with it before. So now we care. Now the people at the top with all the resources care. So you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. So what what was the... um... What was the moment where you were like, you know what, I I think I need to run run for office. I think I needed to do this. Yeah. How did that how, how did that happen? It's, there wasn't really one defining moment. Um, I remember just kind of before I say this, I have to say that I understand that state and federal politics are two different things because every time I try to get into this, someone cuts me off and tries to redirect me. So I'm going to put that out there. We know that state and federal politics are different, yeah, right? We're not, uh, <laughs> we understand that here. I mean, we're, not, we're not the brightest, but we do get that. So I remember just watching you know, everything playing out in our federal government over the last couple of years and just being completely dumbfounded that some of these things were playing out on television every single day where we can watch every single thing that was going on. And that was infuriating to me. So once I kind of decided, like, we need to do something, I need to do something, I kind of turned my attention to if all of this is going on federally, what is going on in our state and we need to build strong states (laughs) like if we can't depend on our federal government we really need to build really strong states um so i kind of dabbled up started paying attention and trying to figure out what was going on here um and 
the first words or couple of words that I started to hear on a regular basis, a consistent basis was the Delaware way. Uh, so I had to figure out a little bit more of what that meant um, and kind of look into my representatives and what was going on, you know, in my districts. Um, and the one of the more defining moments for me, because it, it was when I decided that maybe, you know, running was a, something I'd be interested in. It was this thing where no one's really interested in it. And if no one's interested in it, nothing's ever going to change. Um, so I was like, OK, like maybe in a few years, maybe at another time. Um, but I looked into my opponent. Um, I looked into both of my representatives. Um, one I feel like is doing some really awesome work in terms of health care. Um, and then I looked into my opponent and I came across everything that happened with the um, gun reform last year. And I'm not, I don't think I mentioned that at one point I was a foster parent. I was a foster parent for about four years. Um, and that was this bizarre series of events that started with a kid I dated when I was like 16 who I ended up raising his niece who later ended up in foster care. Um, so this is a guy and you raised the guy's the guy's niece? His niece and his great nephew because she was a teen mom. So I so, had so two. Two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, when I was in college at NSU, was murdered. Um, someone shot him in the back of the head on East Side um, and he was killed. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction to gun violence. Um, so figuring out what my legislator did, my opponent did with, you know, kind of tabling that, we'll say it correctly, with keeping those bills in committee infuriated me. I don't think there's a week where we can't read a headline about someone getting murdered or getting shot. I don't think there's more than two weeks that go by that I don't have a patient who is a victim of gun violence. We need sensible gun laws. So finding out that my opponent, who is supposed to be a leader, is not leading in those reforms infuriated me. So this idea of maybe two years from now, maybe four years from now, kind of went out the window for me. It was like, no, because if we wait, more people are going to die. More people are not going to get the help that they need. So and then also figuring out that, you know, he's run unopposed for several decades. We know that no one's going to step up. So. If you know anything about social workers, we're kind of the people that are like, we're going to figure it. We're going to do this. We're going to get, we're going to jump head first into this and we're going to make change. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't know how much you want to talk about this. So we'll just throw it out there and see what happens. But <laughs> like there, there are a lot of um, people in power in this state who have been in power since the 20th century. Um, your opponent has been in power since I think I was two or three, like probably before you guys were born. Um, and I don't know what that, like other than it being a credential, other than being able to say, well, I did what you said for 40 years. So can I have a power position? Other than that, I don't know what good that is. And that's what kind of what, how I'm challenging people right now. Is like, um, the party says you have to do this. But they're not doing anything. And so, it takes, it takes someone, as you did, to point that out and say, you know what, nothing's happening here. And so I'm going to get involved. And, you know, there's there's uh, obviously other things that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you if you want to talk about it or not, and I don't know whether it happened or not, but I know that I've spoken to a lot of people who have taken a lot of heat, who have been personally sort of, I don't want to call it bullied or harassed, who have sort of been told like why like the question is always like why are you doing this and so like I don't know if that if, if, if that's something that you've experienced or if that's something that you've thought about if I experienced it what my answer would be 
But I find it very, very interesting that this is the question that comes up very often. Is like, why are you doing this against this person? And so, yeah, I mean, have you come up against that question? How, like, how is it in the party with you doing this? Like, what, how's that working out? Interesting question. Um, I I haven't really been asked it except by one friend of the show um, who actually friend of show <laughs> friend of friend show. Of show. Um, I listened to your episode at um, at Kobe's birthday, mm-hmm. and a friend of show mentioned that they gave me a difficult question. Oh, <laughs> in show. the friend of show being Josh. Just goddamn Josh Whitaker comes up all the time. Um, and it's not important. Don't listen to that guy. <laughs> but you know what? I'm actually glad that he asked the question. Um, I think it's I think it's a question that a lot of people want to know. Um, I I don't know if it was on here or some social media site, but I recall like coming across just kind of the question of who is she? I've never heard of her before. Um, which is fine. I'm not, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I work with people one-on-one. That's what I do. Um, I'm not a big name. I don't, my name's probably not going to ring bells and that's fine. Um, but my name, my reason for why is exactly that is because I care about people. I don't care about, I care about people and I care about making sure that people get what they need. And I care about putting myself in the position to be able to do that of the best of my abilities. I talked to you a little bit about, you know, how I came into this world. um, And my story could have looked totally different. You know, I live a pretty good life. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I'm blessed to be able to do the things that I want to do in life because someone stepped in for me when they didn't have to. Um, If they hadn't, if I wasn't, if, parts of my life weren't interceded in, things for me would look totally different. So I came up with the idea that I was put here to help people. I was put here to do something to make sure that other people are okay. And that is the reason why it's not about party. It's not about politics. It's not about name recognition. It's about the idea that I'm maneuvering myself to be in a position to be able to do whatever I have to do to make sure that people get a fair and fighting chance because people haven't had that. Because even me with my okay life, I still have $100,000 worth of student loan debt that kind of helped me get there when that it shouldn't be that, you know, you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't do the things that you're supposed to do and then still get screwed. You shouldn't put your trust in an elected official and, because most of us don't have the time to follow politics. Most of us don't have the time to run for office. I hardly have the time to run for office. <laughs> you know, most of us don't have the ability to put everything aside and listen to what's going on in the world right now. We put our trust in our elected officials to be able to do that. And paying close enough attention, we see that our elected officials aren't doing that. Yeah, I mean... One of the things that we come back to all the time is is this um, separation between, like, are you are you working to? Like it's, a, it's sort of a careerist thing. Like, are you working to get a, a a position in leadership? Are you working to get, you know, the next, the, the, have, have the governor appoint you to the thing to the senate or this this or that or have lisa bunt rochester go to this thing when this when when biden sends coons like if you're doing it for that i understand it but that's actually something i'm going to look down upon like people say are you doing party work if you're doing party work then i'm going to tell you that you're horrible if you're doing work for your constituents and not, not professional managerial class constituents to make sure the status quo goes, but the people who are suffering, the people who are, you know, who need some support in our, like our neighbors. Like we don't need to, we don't need to, uh, to help out any more corporations. We've done that. And so we have a, we have a, we have a thing here that we're doing. Now people are hurting, but people don't want to represent those people. They want to do party work. They want to, they want to just keep 
the status, status quo, quo sort of going mm-hmm. Delaware way, <laughs> right? And so I, 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 I wonder how we can break that spell. Like we can say, yeah, I mean, you know this person and they're doing party work, um, but they're not solving the problems of our neighbors. They're not making me feel more secure or safer. They're not helping out. They're not solving real societal problems. They're trying to increase the tax base. They're trying to create some machine whereby, you know, if this person pays more taxes, we'll have an extra dollar to not give to this school, but to give to, uh, you know, some other school. Like, it's all a joke. It has to be direct. And it's very difficult to break that uh, because people don't really believe in that mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to another episode and that was kind of the topic of discussion as well is how things are set up that there's always going to be an underclass. I think it was an episode with Jess. Um, you know, there's always going to be this underclass. There's always going to be this group of homeless people who we can't help. And if we keep that mindset, yes, there will be. If our mindset is that it's okay if we don't get 50% because we got 50%, we'll never change anything. But I, for one, am tired of being able to help some patients, but not other patients. I am tired of being able to provide resources to the people who have the good insurance, but not the people who don't have insurance. I'm tired of telling families that I'm very sorry, you're loved one who has a severe brain injury isn't going to be able to get the best care because there aren't resources out there but i can make sure that you have enough i can make sure that you have a place to put your loved one but not really get them treatment that's not enough we are failing people we are failing the very people who entrust us to set up systems that take care of them because they're too busy just trying to survive they're too busy just trying to stay afloat so they give their votes to the party they give their votes to this elected official that does not have their best interest at heart that is okay with 50 percent staying below water because there's 25 more percent who is on a jet ski and then another 25 percent that is you know treading water (laughs) you know it's not enough and yeah, it's it's almost like you're not supposed to uh, even identify that as a problem. You're no. like oh, that. You're supposed to ignore that. Yeah, and and you're it's supposed easy. to do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's it's, you know, I hate to bring it back to national politics, <laughs> but it's like the it's same like, thing. It's like yeah. if, if this person's nice to me, and they seem like a nice person, and they let this all go, it doesn't matter if there's homeless people dying in the woods. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if people come to the emergency room and they can't afford health care. It doesn't matter that, you know, people die because they either can't afford insulin or they don't have any health insurance at all. Um, it doesn't matter that, um, you know, we're not really doing anything to protect our state that's the lowest lying state in the United States uh, from, from climate change. It doesn't matter because that's not what, that's not what the that's goal not what is. That's we're trying to fix. That's not the goal for... So <clears throat> the difficult part is to be able to stand up in public and say, yeah, the things you're doing, you're doing them. They're the wrong things. Like, I don't even... I, I say that what you're doing is completely wrong. Like, I'm not trying to do what you're doing better. I'm objecting to the way that you're doing it. I'm objecting to the fact that today they've talked about suspending the General Assembly because of the, uh, the coronavirus, because of the, 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 uh, the virus that's going around. But we would never, like, that's not going to impact anything because they don't do anything anyway. So they're going to shut down the General Assembly. How are, how are we going to notice? But that's okay. I mean, uh, right? You said that one. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, do the commentary. This is a <clears throat> <clears throat> this is a commentary, everybody. Um, 
Marie Pinckney is not saying any of this. Uh, what I'm saying is that uh, most people that work in Dover at the General Assembly don't do a goddamn thing. And um, I would I would welcome them to come into the bunker and tell me what you know they think they've done and what their accomplishments are, and then we can we can we can hash that out. But really, they know that they haven't done anything, and so that's the end of the chat. That's it. That's just the commentary. We'll end now. Okay, now you can say what because here's here's what's funny. I was I was uh, I have a lot. I have a list of things that we were going to like oppo on your opponent. So I don't know if you're ready to do that, but we'll see. I'll I'll listen to your list. Okay. Well, here's my list, and again, this is um. This is commentary. Dave McBride has been uh, in Dover uh, for like, I think since like 1877, something like that. Uh, He, I saw, I saw him uh, when we went down a few months ago to, um, to lobby for the $15 minimum wage and he looked like a fucking corpse. Guy could barely fucking walk. He's in the fucking, he's in the leadership. This is all commentary, by the way. Marie's not saying, she's actually really mad. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want me to say this. Yeah, my, my version of this, or my focus of this isn't on age, isn't on. Not ageism. We have, we've had, a, we've had long talks about ageism. It's not about age. You can be, you can be an older person. You can be vigorous, vigorous, vigorous. Um, you can be ready to, to go to work and be uh, exciting, or you can be a fucking corpse like Dave McBride. This is all commentary. Uh, I mean, the last like 20 years, a guy's lived in a mansion at the beach. Doesn't even live here. Uh, his wife uh, votes in the uh, the Cape and Lopen School District. Um, it's a fucking joke. And um, I know, like, party, I know, like, within the Republican Party, we're supposed to pretend like it's not a joke. We're supposed to be like, ah, this guy did party work and blah, blah, blah. He's in leadership and he's, ah, I mean, we're supposed to say all this stuff. I got news for you, folks. We're not doing that anymore. The guy is garbage. The, The guy doesn't live in his district. But I mean, we have to start thinking about this. Do we do we want representatives who represent the people in their neighborhoods, who want to address some of the issues that are happening in those neighborhoods, healthcare, gun violence, schools, whatever, or do we want a guy who lives in a mansion in Lewis, who is in the, who is in uh, leadership? who may or may not know what day it is. That's 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 the that's what we're that's where we're at. Sorry. You I mean have your list. So. I mean I, I mean am I am I I mean I don't know. You can't say that I'm lying or not lying, but I, I guess just... the way I look at it, I mean you have your list. I have my list of reasons, you know, why I am challenging an incumbent. Um and I, it's not a secret that the the opponent has been in his seat for a really long time um and i i believe that there's if a person is sits in a seat for a long time and through all of that time they continue to do good work that's one thing different than the opposite you know if you are in a seat and you've been representing a district for and a significant amount of time, I expect you to be in touch with that district that is one of, I think, two majority-minority districts. I expect you to produce policy that impacts that district. I expect you to work for schools that are poorly funded for that district. I expect you to support that district through meaningful legislation. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for 
as Ibram Kendi said, anti-racist policy. I'm looking for, I spoke to a mother on Sunday, um, actually today's Wednesday, on Monday, and it was it was a rough canvassing day. Um, it was a day that it was, it was like our first day of spring, so there weren't a lot of people home, so this was my last door. I was, you know, just about ready to go, but I knocked my last door and I spoke to a young mom who was excited to come outside to talk to me. She was excited to see someone energetic on their on her door to talk to her about what she's going through because she's been out of the workforce for a couple of years because she had two children back to back. Um, one wasn't expected, so she had to take more time off of work than she expected to take. And now she's been out of the workforce for two, almost three years, and she can't even get an interview because she can't explain to people or people don't accept the fact that the reason there's a gap in her employment is because she brought life into this world. So she is barely making it because she decided to be a mother. She does not qualify for assistance from our state because she has a partner that works. And she wants to work, but she's stuck on either end. She can't look to the state that she's paid into to assist her, but she also can't look to the state to help her with public transportation because it doesn't run in our area frequently enough. She can't find employment anywhere that's going to pay her a livable wage. And where are po- where is policy that assists that? Yeah, so let's hit that because I'm, you know, as, as I said, I, I was down there to uh, lobby with Carl and a bunch of other folks about the minimum wage. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of public transportation, which we which is horrible here. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the other things that you're um, sort of targeting to really say, these are my issues that actually target the people that live in my district that will mm-hmm. that will actually help their material interests? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that I want to do is bring a Medicaid buy-in product here. Um, you know, there have been studies and task force for Medicaid buy-in, but we haven't gotten anywhere with it. If people need health coverage, people need health coverage. You know, it shouldn't be a privilege to have health coverage. You shouldn't have to work at one of the biggest corporations to be able to take yourself or your children to the doctors. So one of the first things I want to do is make sure that we create a Medicaid buy-in product so people can pay for Medicaid coverage when they're when they need it, when they're not able to get it through their jobs and when they don't qualify for Medicaid. Um I want to get rid of the youth and um, training wage tax because, as has been discussed, our youth are working to support their households. You know, um, we talk about public transportation. Where I lived as a teenager, I was solely dependent on public transportation to get back and forth to work. Um, I caught the 15 every day back and forth to work until I was able to save up enough to get a car. And that was only through assistance from my family. But there are people who don't have that assistance that still have to use those funds for both public transportation and to assist their households. There are teenagers that go to a full day of work and then come home or a full day of school, excuse me, a full day of school and then come home and go to work to take care of help take care of their siblings. There are teenagers who get up in the morning and put their siblings on the bus because their parents are already at work. So, you know, I, we definitely want to get, well, I definitely want to get rid of the youth and um, training tax to make sure that these kids that are supporting their households are able to do it just as effectively as the adults who they, for, who some feel that they don't measure up to. So how do we break this idea? Because the youth and training wage is a, is a good example. But, the, but a lot of things are like this in this state. It's like people just say, well, that's for kids. Like you have to convince people before you, it seems like before you, we even talk about uh, public transportation, minimum wage, whatever it is, we have to convince people like, you know, there's people out there that, um, you know, they're not wealthy. <laughs> you know, they're not. You don't their, say. Their parents didn't send them to Archmere uh, and then, uh, you know, and this and that. Like, it's almost like, 
we have to convince people that there are people that aren't like them. Lots of them. The majority of them. The majority of them. Now, again, we might not get into this, so we try to keep the majority of them out of the political process. But how do we convince people, like, you know, it's important to recognize what's really happening because people don't recognize what's happening. If they're if they're comfortable in there, and I don't know if you've knocked on a door and somebody was somebody said, "Well, I'm good," and what do you what do you say to them, or how we get people out of this idea that there's no other people but you. We have to cater to you. We have to build a coalition with you. We have to hold like like hold you and kind of tell you like, yeah, it's important to do this. That's my biggest, um, that's the Total. biggest trick, I think. Yeah, I, I'm struggling with that. Um, I, I think we all struggle with that, but I think that a big part of that is why there are people stepping up. There are people from the community who are going into these seats, um, and I think that we see more of that almost every go-around, and I think that you know, in breaking away from this Delaware way that we stand our ground and we continue to be voices for the people who put us in these positions to be able to legislate for them. And I think that we continue to bring them with us. I think that we continue to encourage them to come to Leg Hall and make sure that they know that Leg Hall is for them. I think that not enough people understand that they have the ability to come down to Leg Hall and talk to their legislator. Um, I think that people need to understand that in Delaware, for the most part, we have pretty easy access to our legislators more so than other you know, states. You're a lot more likely to run into your legislator here than if you live in like California. And I think that we need to make sure that people understand how to use those platforms. One of the things that I really, really am striving for with my campaign is educating people and making sure that people know that you have the right to contact your legislator, that you have the right to go down to Legislative Hall and know what's going on. And I think that the slight pushes that we've been making towards transparency in government need to be toppled over. Government should be transparent. People should understand how government works. People should know that, should know more about the people that we have the power to put in power. And I think that we continue to make sure that people are empowered to use their voices and that we are held accountable and that legislators are held accountable for the votes that they make and that people know how to look those things up. You know, I, one of the things that I've been trying to push is making sure that people just at a minimum know how to figure out who their legislators are, figure out how to contact them, what are their emails, what are their phone numbers, when are the times that you're able to go down to Leg Hall and, you know, talk with them and understand what that looks like and how to use the voice that we have been so disempowered to use for so long. I think that solving this question that you're asking is by empowering the people on the ground to realize that they are not supposed to remain on the ground. Yeah, I think that's so important. <clears throat> and I think it's important. My other like pet peeve is that people think they need to know like the machinations and they need to know what this percentage is and if we do this, do we do that. That's all a trick. People tell you that the the the, the process is very complicated. You can't understand it. And so you're coming, it's not complicated. It's all bullshit. And, and uh, that's the other trick is, you know, you're talking about going out and saying, you know, you have power, you can do this and you can do that. And the one thing you have to break down to do that is that, yeah, you think it's complicated. Because that's what we've been led to believe. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> a trick. It's all fake. Mm -hmm. You think that going down there and speaking to these people who've won an election in this beautiful colonial uh, hall with the marble floor and all this is, you can't do it. You can do it. The you mom, absolutely can do it. The young mom that I was just talking about as she was talking, um, 
when you talk to a black person, if we get excited about something or something really resonates with us, you hear tones come out. You hear inflection in our conversation. (laughs) Um, And she did that. And then I saw this moment of, oh, wait, I'm getting too excited. Let me simmer down. Let me let me not use my curse words. And she she actually said, see, that's why they wouldn't want me down there, because this is how I'm going to talk. No one can police the way that you speak. You have something to say. You have a message. Say what you say. Okay, well, <laughs> from that stance. Um, you're, you're, the reason yeah. I laughed, and I'm sorry, <laughs> that, the reason I laughed, I'll let, I'll let everybody in on a little secret. So my language is extremely uh, vile and, uh, and dirty. <laughs> I tell people to go fuck off all the time. I did it today. You did. <clears throat> I did. <laughs> that was really something. Um, I don't know if I want to say it because it's kind of self-aggrandizing, but I'm going to give people a little peek into like the mind of me. The reason that I do it like that is to give space for other people to do it. Like, yeah, go down to Leg Hall and tell your tell your representative that the sheer he is a fucking piece of shit. That's your right. Like, oh, oh, you're 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 embarrassing me. Who cares? Doesn't matter. If you have material interests that aren't being met, if your kids don't go to good schools, if you can't get good health care, if your kids are afraid to play outside because there's gun violence, whatever. Go down a leg hall. Tell your representative or your senator that, that they're not fucking uh, doing what you've asked them to do. They're not. They're not. You put them in a position of power. To correct. Do. They have political power. And if you think that you don't speak the correct way or you don't know enough or you are all of that stuff. That's all fake. You don't have to put up with that. Go down there and tell them whatever you want. Here's a little here's a little uh, secret. I've gone down there. I've talked to many elected officials. Most of them are not bright. They're just doing their thing. Some of them are good. Some of them are good faith. They're trying to represent their district, or they're trying to. Some of them are trying to get a, a leadership position. There are good to, ones down there. Trying we to kiss ass. That. There's all kinds of different people. All kinds of different people. But never for one second think that you can't go down there and speak your truth to somebody or talk the way you talk. You know, I curse. I'm, you know, that's how I talk. Everybody can do this. I'm not special. Everybody can do it. I think we also, too, with that, have to acknowledge your privilege as a white man to be able to do that. While we can, while we also empower black people, brown people, people in poverty to recognize that we can, too. We have a right to hold people accountable and responsible for what they do with our lives. We have a right to make sure that the people who, again, that we put in power with our vote are held accountable for making sure that they draft legislation and policy that improves our lives and that does not maintain the status quo. So, you know, there there is a degree of privilege that we cannot ignore but I want people of color, I want people in poverty to understand and feel empowered to know that you can and you should hold your legislator accountable because they're only there by the grace of your vote. Yeah. And I and I would never uh, for a minute not recognize that it's, yeah, it's easy for me, easier because I, you know, I don't the, the backlash that I would get, whatever it is, I can take it. I can just tell people, "Go fuck yourself." It doesn't matter. And so, yeah, I recognize that's extreme privilege. And I guess what I'm trying to do is is um, use it barrier. to open open up the space. You're breaking that barrier. And like go as go as far as I can. Mm-hmm. And if I go as far as I can, mm-hmm. then there's plenty of space behind me to then do it. 
Sorry, I gave everybody the secret. I just said uh, I actually gave everybody the secret of this podcast. Actually, no, that's, that's what it is. Like, that's the I, point, and I think I think that's a, an amazing thing. I think that you know we need people to do that, and I think that we need to you know call out that as well. I think we need to make sure that people know that this is what's happening. That there are people out there who are breaking down barriers and and opening up space for us to be able to use our voice because for so long we're disenfranchised from that. We're, we're made to feel like that mom who I just talked about who thinks that she can't do that, that there are people and that there are avenues to make sure that, that we can. Well, I hope you speak to this mom again. I hope that you uh, tell her she absolutely can. Mm-hmm. And if I find out, she's, I'll go down there with her. <laughs> You heard it here first. Rob's going with you. I, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I, this is something I really believe in. Absolutely. Because the I feel like the status quo and the establishment down there needs to be. They need to have their fucking world rocked. And you know, there are some people in, in a position to really, really do it, and there's some people in a position that need support to do it. And we'll do it however we need to do it. Because this uh, is not uh, sustainable. We can't go on like this. Like I said, whether it's uh, climate or or uh, social stuff, like homelessness and, and, and healthcare and things like that. This is, not, this is not tenable. We can't go on like this. And so that's, that's where I'm at. I think there's a good portion of us that are there. <laughs> Because you know there there are people who will go on like this, if of course if yeah if we don't bulldoze that down, you know if we don't bulldoze that down, people will go on like this. So, these spaces are important for us to make sure that people know that there are avenues to break things down. Um, that you know, again, I'm just kind of bringing that back to government. Like, it's not inaccessible. We as much as it we have been led to believe that government is this far off thing this land that we cannot reach that's not true that's simply not true absolutely not so let's close it out like this what um what are you foregrounding what are you talking to people at the doors about what what is your uh sort of your your pitch to people um and how are you sort of building that sort of grassroots coalition in your district Mm -hmm. um by first making sure that one people understand that this is grassroots that we are doing this together um that people understand that we all have a right to live good lives that not just some of us have the right to live good lives because we checked boxes, um, because we followed the rules, because we did the things that were that people say that you're supposed to do, that that doesn't make you any less important than the person standing next to you or the person standing behind you or the person standing in front of you. I want people to understand that they have the right to have health care, that they have the right to get the care that they need for themselves or their loved ones and that there are avenues to do that. It does not have to be that you work at the best paying job and get the best paying insurance, that you have a right to have health insurance, that you have a right as a youth to earn the same amount as the person standing next to you and that your age doesn't mean that you don't have that right or the fact that you're 12 days into your job doesn't mean that you don't have that right. I want people to understand that you have the right to feel safe in your neighborhoods and not have to worry about your son or your daughter being gunned down, that you have the right to live in a neighborhood that is not polluted by a big gas manufacturing company that allows for gas leaks in your neighborhood and does not satisfactorily and satisfactorily improve those things that we have a right and that we it is our responsibility to ensure that we hold corporations elected officials whoever responsible for their actions that we have that power um on my way here i love podcasts (laughs) 
clearly I love podcasts. Thank, thank God. I love I love everything you're saying right <laughs> podcasts now. Podcasts are like my favorite thing. And on my way here I was listening to um Latina USA on NPR and they were talking about um the the um rallies that took place in Dominican Republic after the elections. Um, and it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of just thinking about all of the states and countries that are rallying in streets against government. Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Delhi, you know, Dominican Republic are taking to the streets to hold their government accountable because they put them there. I want us here to understand that we have the right to do that. You know, most of us won't because we don't want to worry about losing the job that we have or we don't have anyone to watch our children. But we have every right to hold our government responsible for what they do. And that, again, to bring it all home, we are a grassroots movement and we are doing this together. And that's what I really want people to understand. Marie Pinckney, folks. Uh, give us all of the uh, give us all the, the deets. Yes, okay. we need all of that. So we need because, as we say all the time, we need to give uh, Marie money. Everybody listening to this needs to send money. You need to get out if you're in her district, or if if you're not in her district, knock doors. We need to do all of it because we're not going to get the change that we need for everyone. Unless everyone gets involved. Um, you know, we're having the same sort of issue on the national level. And it's just going to take tons and tons and tons of work. And so here is how you can get involved and do some of that work. Yes. So there are a couple of ways to do that. Um, again, we always need people on the ground. One of the most important ways to help our campaign is to come out and canvas. Um, we canvass every weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday from about one to five, although now thankfully it gets dark later. So we'll probably be canvassing to like one to seven. Now you don't have to come out for the entire time unless you want to, you know, unless your Saturday and Sundays are free to walk around, come out for the entire, come time. out for the entire time. <laughs> um, you can also donate donations important. I always like to make sure people understand what you're donating to. Cause that was a question that, you know, we get regularly. People don't know what the donations go to. Um, it goes one of the biggest things that we do with donations is get our literature so that people can remember what they're looking at and remember who they're talking to after we walk away, that they have something tangible to hold on to. Um, so if you want to donate, you can check out our website, marieforsenate.com. The four is spelled out, not the number. Um, and then check us out on Facebook. We're pretty active on Facebook as well. Um, and you can see me on there, Marie Pinckney for State Senate. Um and we also have a Gmail that we check very regularly for messages and emails. And that is Marie, the number four Senate at gmail.com. After you do that, folks, then you want to go to uh, www.patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. And so you first you give money to Marie and her campaign because we're trying to uh, help our neighbors. After that, you become a member of the podcast. How great. Friend of show. Friend of show. How great it would be if everyone became a friend of show. Um, we're trying to do we're trying to do stuff here, folks. Um, I don't want to get into it right now. We'll get into it uh, whenever we can. But uh, yeah, I mean, help us out. Help Carl. He's he's doing great work. Carl's doing great work. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm just talking into the microphone. Carl's actually. If it wasn't for him, then none of this would happen. Folks, thank you for uh, listening again. I hope you uh, really start thinking about uh, where we're at here. I know um, a lot of people sort of just like being told what to do. Like I sort of, we, we sort of saw that in the, in the national sort of uh, election campaign sort of thing. Is uh, when somebody tells people what to do, they love that. Because they don't want to think. They're like, oh, I'll just do what, the, what they told me to do. Don't do that. If somebody's telling you uh, to do something, be very suspicious of that. And probably don't do it. It's not good, folks. It's not good. 
We'll be talking more about uh, how how bad it is in uh, future episodes. But for now, I just want to thank uh, Marie for coming in. Thanks for having me. Of course. Folks, we'll speak to you soon. Left is best. <laughs>